Happy Sabbath, everybody. Uh, I want to welcome you to Jakarta Central Church live streaming, online live streaming worship. And I'm so glad that you are here with me. Um, I'm used to a lot of people usually when I preach, but uh, I know that you are watching online and I, I pray that you have had a great week. Uh, in spite of the crises that we are facing, I pray that you've had a great week. I had the privilege uh, this week of praying for people and one of the people I prayed for was celebrating a birthday. Uh, another person celebrated a, a new birth. Uh, and, and so in spite of crisis, we can still celebrate the goodness of the Lord. I hope you'd say amen wherever you are. Because God is still good. And so sometimes when we focus so much on what is wrong, we can tend to miss out on what is, what is good. Today we begin a, a new series. I'm calling it Pandemic. Um, making sense of a crisis. Now, what is amazing about this pandemic in which we're in, so-called COVID-19 or the coronavirus or the novel coronavirus, is that we don't really know where it came from. Uh, we don't know the vaccine, the vaccines for it. We don't know where it's going next. And so if we are going to try to make sense of this pandemic, I think we might be chasing shadows. And if you know anything about shadows, is that you cannot catch a shadow, right? A shadow keeps running. You run after it, the shadow keeps going. And so I'm not here to talk about shadows. I'm here to talk about realities. So here's what I'm trying to present to you, and hopefully for the next couple of weeks you're going to get it, and that let's not try to make sense of the pandemic or the virus. What about making sense of ourselves, in the midst of this pandemic. Because I believe that that's the only thing really that we can control. And so my prayer is that at least you may not be able to figure out this COVID-19, but at least you can figure out yourself in this COVID-19. There is no better place in my mind where you can find uh, Jesus addressing our crisis better than Matthew chapter 24. And I want you to flip your Bibles uh, to that particular passage, Matthew uh, chapter 24. And I want to focus just on the first three verses this morning. And it is my prayer that God is going gonna, is gonna to speak to you. And by the way, Matthew 24 and 25 is going to be the, the way I'm going to spend a lot of time in this series. It's, it's, it's where our bread is going to be buttered. Matthew chapter 24 and verse uh, 1 to 3. Now, somebody criticized me last week. says, Pastor, look, we're used to you standing when you preach. Uh, I mean, when you read the word of God. And so, I'm going to ask you to do something crazy. Can you stand wherever you are in your home? Just stand up, you know, with me as we read the word of God. You know what I mean? Just stand up wherever you are. And we're going to read the word of God. Because the person said to me, Pastor, we got to be consistent, even though in a pandemic. So, please stand wherever you are and join me in reading uh, the word of God. In your homes, whatever, just stand up, you know what I mean? And let's get this word of God uh, uh, read. And those of you here in the room with me, uh, kindly do the same as well. Matthew uh, 24, verses 1 to 3. The word of God says, And Jesus went out, and he departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? I like the King James Version, and that's what I'm using to read this morning. And here's what Jesus says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, they shall not be left here 
one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be thy, the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? I've tagged the message this morning, pardon my disruption. Pardon my disruption. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with me at this preaching moment. I need you, God. I, I pray that I may not depend on my planning and my study, but Lord, the Holy Spirit would just move in me like a like uh, like blood and just course through my veins and give me life and it may move in me like oxygen and take out the uh, co2 out of me and that i breathe the atmosphere of heaven that my brother and sister will be blessed by you this is my prayer in jesus name amen thank you guys for standing i really really appreciate that have you ever reached a place of no return. Have you ever had to move on from a situation? It's as if you packed up the bags of your life and you moved on. Have you ever had to move on from a job? Have you ever had to move on from a relationship? Have you ever had to move on from a routine, that boring routine? Have you ever had to move on from a church? Have you ever had to move on from a partnership? Have you ever had to move on from a group? I'm talking about moving on. I'm talking about getting away from a situation because returning is dangerous. Returning is hazardous. Returning is fruitless. Uh, Jesus Christ in this text had reached a place of no return. Uh, the text says, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Jesus had reached a place of no return. Jesus didn't leave the, the temple or wasn't going out of the temple to go on a bathroom break. Jesus wasn't going out because he had been sitting too long. Jesus wasn't going out because he wanted to get a breath of fresh air. Jesus was going out because it was the last visit, the last exit, the last time that he would ever step foot in the temple. Jesus had reached a place of no return. He packed up his bags and he left. When Jesus leaves, it's not a good thing. You see, when you read a few chapters earlier, in fact, the chapter before, uh, Jesus has spent time preaching and teaching uh, about the gospel. He's been talking about the kingdom of heaven. He has spent a whole day in the temple talking and preaching. Uh, but the people, his own people, rejected him. His own people didn't accept him. And, and Jesus has to make this, uh, this, what I call, the saddest of, of, of declarations. The, the saddest of words you can never hear. Jesus says, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You that kill the prophets and stone them that are sent unto you. How often I would have gathered you. I, I, I would have wanted to bring you in as a, as a hen brings in her chicks. How often I would have loved to bring you under my wing. But you didn't want it. You didn't want what I offered. 
And therefore, because you do not want what I can offer, I got to go. I got to leave. And, and so Jesus had to uh, get away from his own people because his own people didn't accept him. And therefore, they brought him to a place of no return. You see, if a person can't appreciate the presence of Jesus, they will earn his absence. Allow me to put it another way. If, if you don't appreciate what God is doing in your life, God will say, you know what? I'm going to depreciate out of your life. Uh, and I think that we can take a cue from Jesus right here. Uh, sometimes people in our lives don't treat us correctly. Sometimes people in our life don't appreciate us as they should. Sometimes they don't even say the good things that we're doing. Sometimes all they do is put us down. That person needs it to earn your absence because they don't appreciate your presence. And so uh, take a cue from Jesus. You, you don't need to beg him to stay in your life. You don't need to beg her to stay in your life. You don't need that job. You, you don't need that place. You don't need that group. If they don't appreciate your presence, they need to earn your absence. You see, Jesus realized that these people don't appreciate me. They don't need me. And they don't want me. And how sad it is that some of us, we cling to people and we cling to them and we try to do things to make them appreciate us. My brother, if God himself can leave, why are you staying? If God himself can say, you know what, I'm going to pick up my bags and go. The question is, why are you unpacking your bags and staying? Why are you in that relationship? Why are you in that job? Why are you in that organization? Why are you in that group? My brother and my sister, if they don't appreciate you, let them earn your absence. So Jesus is going out. And he, you, you, know, you know, I was shocked because when he said, uh, you, you don't want me. Uh, that was shocking enough. But what shocked me even more is what he says in verse number 38. Jesus says, because you have uh, not appreciated me, because you don't appreciate my presence, your house is left unto you desolate. Uh, that means your house is left empty. And he was talking about the temple. He says, your house. A few chapters earlier, Jesus has said, my house should be a house of prayer. But now Jesus has flipped the situation. It's your house. You see, my brother, my sister, I need you to understand that sometimes when we don't appreciate God in our lives, sometimes when God is not so important, God will say, it's your job. It's your relationship. It's your family. It's your job. It ain't mine. I'm not a part of it. And so Jesus says, your house is left and you desolate. Your house is no longer my house. I walked to Caucasus on, on Thursday, and uh, I walked to Caucasus because I was really afraid to get in a, in a, in a grab car because uh, I said, man, this is COVID-19. I didn't even want to take a, a grab bike or a Gojek, so I, I walked to Caucasus. It was a walk of about 2.5 kilometers. Also good to exercise. I've been studying and reading. So, I, you know, I've been to Caucasus many times. And whenever I go to Caucasus, I, I see a, a place teeming with people. People are everywhere. You know, loads and loads of people. But I went to Caucasus on, on Thursday. And when I got there, it was the, a sight that shocked me. The place was empty. 
There was, there was literally nobody there. I went to the lower ground and, and the first place, and this, the, the truth of the matter is I went to Cocos because I wanted to go to Tole Jules, you know what I mean? The bread place, you know what I mean? I wanted to go there. So I was, I was really craving, you know, because every time I go to Pacific Place on Wednesdays, you know, I make sure that I buy me something from Tole Jules. So it had been a long time. I was just really missing this spot. And so the first place I went to is Tole Jules. And when I got there, my favorite pastry wasn't even there. And, and, and looked, stores are closed and all that. And here is the thing that I realized. That the reason why we have malls is because malls are meant to have people. And when people are not in the malls, then there is no place or there is no reason for the mall to exist. And so when Jesus says, your house is left and you desolate, he's making the point that the reason of, of this building in, to exist, that the whole point of this building is because of me. But because you don't want me, I have to go out and therefore your house is left unto you desolate. My brother, my sister, Jesus is what a mall is in our lives. Jesus is that person that if he walks away out of your, your life, if he walks away out of your situation, your life is going to be desolate. My brother and my sister, many of us are living today desolate lives because Jesus Christ walked out. <laughs> Jesus Christ left the building. He's no longer there. And so we have people who their hearts are desolate. We have people who their, their jobs are desolate. We have people who their families are desolate. We have people who their careers are desolate. We have people who their businesses are desolate because Jesus walked out. He left the building. He is no longer there. And so, if Jesus walks away from our lives, we become desolate. Now, you see, the disciples surely have heard what Jesus has said. Surely they have heard that uh, the house is desolate. Surely they have heard that uh, the people have rejected him. And this statement of Jesus that he their house is left unto them desolate really really didn't sit well with the disciples and so as if to defend their house the Bible says in the same verse of, of verse number one he says and his disciples came to him the disciples came to Jesus and they they they, they called him to show him the buildings of the temple. Uh, the, New King, the NIV will put it this way. They, they, they called his attention to his buildings. They, they're like, okay, Jesus, I know that you don't think that this house is, is no longer useful. I know you're saying that it is desolate. But at least have one last tour. <laughs> the disciples gave Jesus a tour of the temple. And they're saying, Jesus, look at these buildings. Look at how beautiful it is. And, and so this is where I started to think in my mind. The question is, why are the disciples showing Jesus the buildings of the temple? Why do they think and why do they want to show Jesus the temple? And so the first thing I understood as I was thinking about this question is that they felt uncomfortable about Jesus' declaration about the temple. They, they, they didn't like it. it. It didn't sit well with them. They were uncomfortable with it. Uh, the other day I was, uh, not the other day, but a couple years ago, I, I opened my heart to a friend and I was telling him things serious in my life. You know, I was just, it was like, it was like a book, man. I opened it and I started to help him to read the chapters in my life and, and he was there reading and I was telling him this, but in, in the course of us talking, he started to make jokes. Now I'm like, hey, bro, why are you making jokes? He's like, ah, bro, I'm trying to make you comfortable so that it doesn't become so heavy. I said, no, bro. 
You are making me comfortable. You are making me uncomfortable. You are making me feel as if what I'm telling you is not important. And so the disciples, if they felt uncomfortable and, and showing Jesus the temple, not because they, they wanted just to feel at ease, it's because they felt uncomfortable. And many times that is what we do. When, when we hear God say things to us in, in our lives, we, 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 which we don't like, which make us feel uncomfortable, what we do is we try to hunt for comfortability. Follow what I'm saying? When, when Jesus speaks in our lives and he, he shows us things, we, we, we look for that comfort. We, we try to say, uh, Jesus, you, you, you're being too harsh. Jesus, you, you're being too rough for me. And, and so we try to find that comfort so that we can calm our hearts because what Jesus has said somehow just messes up our life. And so we're like, no, no, Jesus cannot be that way. And try to think about this beautiful temple, Jesus. So they felt uncomfortable. Now, you see, Jesus just didn't want to make them uncomfortable. Uh, if, if you think about the life of Jesus, he started going to the temple from the age of 12. And he was crucified at the age of 33. If you do the mathematics, from 12 to 33, that's about six. And, 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 and Jewish men, they went to the temple for three times a year, if I'm not mistaken. And so if you do the mathematics, Jesus at least went to the temple 63 times. So when Jesus is saying, your house is left and you desolate, Jesus has been seeing the temple. He has been seeing what is going on. He has been seeing the things that are happening. And so when he's saying, your house is left and you desolate, he wasn't talking out of ignorance. He was talking from knowledge of experience of the situation. And so my brother and my sister, when God speaks to you about your life, and especially he tells you things that you don't like, things that you don't think are good, things that you think are harsh, and you feel uncomfortable about it, it's because God has looked at your life, God has seen where you are, God understands what is in your life, and therefore he's at a proper place to make a declaration on your life that's going to help you. My brother and my sister, the Bible says God can know our thought before it becomes our thought. God can know our actions before we make an action. God knows our words before we form them into sentences, into verbs, into nouns. God already knows us. So my brother and my sister, when God confronts your life with the truth and you feel uncomfortable about it, don't try to change the subject. Don't try to focus on something different. Allow the uncomfortability to sit in you, to get on you, just like when, when rain comes on you. On, on, I mean, when you're rained on, you, you get that rain and you get, you get wet. Allow the word of God to make you wet. You need to feel it because when you are felt it, then you'll be like, I need to get dry. So these disciples, they, they felt uncomfortable, but Jesus wasn't speaking out of ignorance. He was speaking because he understood. But you know what I said to myself? I just don't think the real reason why they presented this is because he was uncomfortable. There had to be a bigger reason. And I discovered it. Jesus, the disciples, considered the temple as a na national treasure. This was a.k.a. the monas of Israel. It was a national treasure. In fact, it was a great building. This was a wonderful building. And I want you to see how... Uh, Mark paints it. You, you know, in, in Matthew it says the disciples called Jesus' attention to show him the buildings of the temple, right? But Mark, look at what Mark says. Mark says, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. <laughs> uh, Jesus, hey, didn't you say the buildings of the temple? He says, Jesus, can you c consider <laughs> the buildings? I mean, the, the stones. Eh? These are beautiful stones. In fact, Luke says, and some spake of the temple, how it was adorned. 
You understand what adornment is, right? It means to beautify. He says, uh, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. And, and so they're, they're, they're saying to Jesus, Jesus, this is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. In fact, uh, Jewish historian Josephus makes a very fundamental point that I understood about the temple. He says, the temple was covered in gold. In such a fashion that when the sun rose every day, and people looked at the temple. Because of the rays of the sun reflecting on the gold of the temple, people had to turn away because it was too bright. And the idea was to convey that this building is a, is a holy building. It's, it's, a, it's, it's just not a simple building. And then he said when you looked at the temple from a distance, it was as if you're looking at uh, snow-covered mountains. And so this was a, a wonderful building. It was a, it was a good building. And so the disciples, Jesus says it is desolate. The disciples are saying, no, Jesus, you got it wrong. This is a beautiful building. And so he is a, a kind of like a competing values. Jesus is saying this thing is empty. The disciples are saying, no, it is a beautiful building. It is a nice building. Jesus, your assessment, your critique is wrong. It ain't right. So they are, they are trying to change the mind of Jesus. Oh Lord. And how many of us, we, we try to change the mind of God because we don't agree with his assessment. Rather, we try to show God, we try to show God, I say it again, we try to show God how we see it. You know, one of the one of the great uh, things about a salesperson, uh, they need to treasure uh, their product. And, and you know how it is when you find a good salesperson. They, they will show you a product. In fact, they'll be like, look at this product. This product can do like this. This product can do like that. In fact, I have bought this product. This product is a good product. And here, a good salesperson not only tells you about the product, they show you the product. They, they, they help you to see what it can do. And so here the disciples, they, they're saying, no, we cannot just tell Jesus that this is a good building. We need to show him. And so sometimes I find we often become salespeople to God and selling and sell him things that we, we treasure. Hmm? We tell God the things we treasure. We tell God the things that we like. God will tell you that job ain't good. But you might be like, Lord, uh, this job has been with me ever since I started in this career. This company has brought me up. Gotta say, no, the job ain't good. You gotta leave. No, God, you don't understand. My boss has been so good to me and he's treated me nicely. Gotta say, you gotta leave. So the message of God never changes. God always speaks the same. Uh, God, you know, <laughs> I love him. I love her. <laughs> and God is saying, you got to go. <laughs> no, God. You know, they help me with my studies. And, you know, they, they inspire me. God is saying, no, we got to go. And we, we try to sell God the things we treasure. We try to get God to change our mind, his mind. We, we, we say, Lord, I know that's what you want. I know that's what you understand. But, Lord, this is what I want. This is what looks good to me. And so here we are. We see disciples who are, are debating with Jesus, who are trying to change the mind of God. But how can you change the mind of God? And Can you not see how crazy that is, changing the mind of God? I know God changes his mind, but I've never read a text that says a person changes his mind. But my brother, my sister, when we hold on to things that we treasure, 
We are trying to change the mind of God when he's saying you got to let it go. You see, many of you uh, talk about, I mean, here in Indonesia, uh, Monas is the national treasure of, 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 of the country, you know. But I don't hear many Indonesians, to be honest, talking about Monas in my life. But the things that we treasure, oh, we talk about them. The things that we like, we talk about them. We, we talk about our job. Uh, we talk about running. We, we, I do that. We, we, we talk about how we're advancing in our careers. We talk about our families. We talk about, we, we present the things that we treasure. We, we talk about the places we have been to. We, we post it. We, we share it because we, we treasure this thing. And, and, but when, and then when God confronts us with that thing, we say, no, God, look, 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 look. You, you have a misunderstanding. In fact, it is like this. What we treasure, listen to this, what we treasure holds us dearly. But just because we treasure it doesn't mean God treasures it as well. Just because you like it, it don't mean that God likes it. Uh, you see, some of us are like fans. You know these fans who support a team that's losing? I mean, the team hasn't been winning, maybe 10 years, 15 years. You know, and then you talk to them. <laughs> Why do you still support this team? But I tell you, no, you know, I'm, I'm a ride or die fan. You know what I mean? I, I support this team. I, I, I like to, you know what I mean? I, I'm all right or die with them. That's okay. That's all well and good, my brother and my sister. But understand that when something God has given an evaluation on it and he says it's not good, no matter how much, how loyal you are to it, you got to be willing to let it go because God has said you shouldn't hold on to it. But you know, I thought to myself, okay, they were uncomfortable because they treasured it. Are you with me? But I said, no, that, that's not reason enough. For, the, for, the, for these guys to show Jesus the temple. I, no, I said that there has to be something else that is gripping them more than just not being comfortable that it is a national treasure. What was it, what was in this national treasure that they said, you know what, I got to hold on to this thing. I got to live. I can't let Jesus take it away from me. What was it that made them do this? And so I, I began to see that, wait a minute, for a Jewish person, the temple was everything. A Jewish man went to the temple three times a year. A Jewish man made sure that he, he at least, at least if he didn't go three times a year, he went there at least one time a year. And so if you talk to a Jewish man and you ask them, hey, how was your year? They almost defined the year by how many times they went to Jerusalem. Hey, bro, how was the year this year? Ah, you know, the year was good. The Lord allowed me to go to, uh, to the temple at least three times. That, that was the Jewish thinking. And so it was a cultural thing. It was a thing that everybody understood. And so here we see that these disciples, they have been following Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus. But it is because of their cultural background. It is because of their cultural upbringing that is making them treasure the very thing that God said, you should let it go. And how many of us, my brother and my sister, we are guided by our culture. Right, we, we make choices in our lives because of our culture. The people that we marry is because mommy and daddy said we should do it this way. The courses we do is because, well, in my family, this is the culture that we, we have followed. The, the, the way I eat is because of the culture in my family. The way I handle my finances is because of how I've been brought up. And so the culture in our lives is so affects us so much that even when God comes and tells us you got to let it go, we're like, no, God, I can't let it go because the culture is so ingrained in us. It is in our our very system so the culture oftentimes gets in the way and most of us are shaped by culture we are shaped by culture we are shaped by what our culture says and here it is 
These disciples, they had allowed this temple even to shape their understanding of religion. And many of us, we have shaped, we have allowed our churches, our organizations to shape our way we worship God. It, uh, we have allowed the, the church to dictate what it means to be righteous and holy. <laughs> you know how it comes. As, as an Adventist, this is how we always do it. As a, this is how we always do it. And in my mind, I'm like, my brother, what, what does the Bible say? I think to myself sometimes that if Jesus Christ came today, would he fit in in the church? Would he be comfortable in our churches? Would he feel welcome in our churches? But I believe that because we have created another subculture from the Christian culture, uh, God can't fit in. And so these disciples, they are stuck on this treasure called the temple because their culture said they had to. And when Jesus said that this is a desolate house, they feel like, no, we got to stand up for the culture. We got to stick up for what we believe in. We, we got to stick up for our values. And so here we have the disciples standing up for their culture because the culture defined them. And so I was thinking, I hope you're following my train of thought. Why did the disciples show Jesus the temple? Mm. All right. It was, they were uncomfortable. They were, uh, it was a national treasure and and it was part of their cultural upbringing. But I said, no, that still cannot be reason enough for them to treasure the temple as the way they did. And here I found the reason. I came to the heart of it. Here it is. Jesus was a supporting actor, not the main actor. Jesus wasn't the key figure in, in their life. Jesus was a sidekick. Uh, they were Batman, <laughs> Batman, and Jesus was Robin. Jesus was in center of their life. And, and, and follow what I'm saying. Jesus Christ, because the temple pointed to Jesus as the one who is going to save humanity. Jesus Christ is walking away from the temple. He's about to leave the building. The treasure, the, the most important thing is walking out. But the disciples are not thinking about Jesus walking out. They're thinking about how beautiful he looked. And so he tells me that they didn't see Jesus for what he truly was. They didn't fully understand Jesus for who he was. Uh, many times I have read books. And, and sometimes I'll read a book one time. And sometimes I'll read it again the second time. Sometimes I'll read it the third time. And I do not get it. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, these disciples, what I, follow what I'm saying. These disciples had stayed with Jesus for three years. Three years they stayed with Jesus. But yet they still didn't understand him. So it doesn't matter how long you have been a Christian. It doesn't matter how long you have been in a certain faith. Longevity is not equals to knowing who Jesus is. We can be long at something. We can do something for a long time, but yet miss the point because we haven't fully understood what it is. We haven't fully understood who he is. And so here it is, my brother, my sister. Jesus is in the temple. He is worshiping God. And he's there with the disciples. But because of their surroundings, they couldn't see him. I haven't made you say amen yet. I'm going to make you say amen right now. So let me put it this way. You see, Jesus was in the temple with the disciples. 
But because of them being surrounded in the temple and with what's going on in the temple, they couldn't see Jesus. Their surroundings blocked their vision. And Lord knows, many of us, our surroundings have blocked our vision. And we can't see Jesus for who he is because of our surroundings. We can't see Jesus because of the people that we have surrounded ourselves. Uh, somebody says, show me the people you hang around with and I'll tell you who, uh, you, are, who, who you are. I will say, show me the people around you and I'll tell you how spiritually mature you are. Let me put it another way. Show me the people you allow to influence yourself and it's going to show me how dedicated and how committed you are to God. You see, my brother and my sister, these brothers uh, were surrounded by an environment that didn't allow them to see Jesus for who he truly was. They saw Jesus as <laughs> a supporting actor not the main actor and so here is the point i want to bring when we do not know the purpose of god in our lives then we can't truly see jesus rather we end up treasuring the temple you see they didn't see jesus they didn't fully understood they didn't fully understand forgive my my language they didn't fully understand who he was they didn't see him as the essence of the temple three years he's been preaching and teaching and here's the, here's the thing. The disciples almost got it. At times they would say, you know, he is, he is the Messiah. You know, Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? Who do people think that I am? Uh, Paul, uh, Matthew says, uh, you are the, the Christ, the Son of God. There were times when they got it. Uh, they saw Jesus resurrect the dead. And they said, well, there's something unique about this guy. They saw Jesus um, walk on water. And they'll be like, wow, Jesus is special. There were flashes that they saw about God. They, they saw something special in him. But every turn, at every turn, a small flash was taken away by darkness. A small flash was taken away by some off remark by a Pharisee and, and they were confused because of their surroundings. And could it be that because of our surroundings, we don't see Jesus for who he really is? Because we have always gone to the same church, we don't see Jesus for who he is. Because we have always read the Bible the same way, we don't see Jesus for who he is. Because we have always prayed it the same way, we don't see Jesus for who he truly is. Because if we always listen to one pastor, we don't see Jesus for who he really is. Because sometimes and most of the times, the environment shapes who we are. And here the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the people who had established the Christian church, they were not free from being affected by their environment. Lord knows. Lord knows that we need God to free us from our environment. Because our environment, instead of helping us, to know God is actually distracting us from knowing God. It's actually disturbing us from knowing who he truly is. He was an actor in their life. He wasn't the main thing. Because their surroundings had confused him. Because their surroundings made it such a way. How sad. The people who know God don't know God how sad that people who have been Christians for 50 years live as if they don't know God sometimes what saddens me is when I go on social media and 
I see people post things, and I'm like, man, this same person goes to church. But social media doesn't reflect like it's church. You know what I'm saying? The way we conduct ourselves outside of the church building is totally different. Like I said, show me the people around you. Show me the things that you do. It's going to show me your view of God. It's going to show me how spiritually mature you are. And sometimes it's like that. My brother, my sister, this is fundamental <laughs> to, to, to the Christian experience. If you don't know God, if you don't know who he is, then why are you a Christian in the first place? So these brothers, the reason why they were uncomfortable, the reason why they treasured the temple the way they did, the reason why they fought for the culture is because they didn't fully understand Jesus in their lives. They didn't fully get him. They didn't fully know him. So, um, back in college, I, I had a strategy. I was in a relationship at the time. I had a strategy, and my strategy was this. I, I, I'll tell my girlfriend, I'll be like, hey, listen, uh, I'm studying from this time to this time. My phone is going to be on airplane mode. And in fact, I still do it today. You know, there are times when you try to reach me at certain hours, you might not reach me because it's on airplane mode because I need to focus on study and just, just get in it. <laughs> but she knew my friends around me and they knew where I studied. And so sometimes she would call them, she would call them to get to me. So I'm there studying. My friend would just come, hey, listen, your girl's on the phone. She wants to talk to you. And so it clicked in my mind that she did that because she wanted to convey something important to me. It's as if she's saying, pardon my disruption, but please, I need you to take note of this. I need your help in this and that. And so I want you to see that God often does the same thing. When we have lost focus, when we don't understand what's going on, God often say, pardon my disruption. And I want you to see God here uh, disrupting the whole situation. They are saying, this is a beautiful temple. This is a good thing. Now, Jesus says, he says to them, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another. They shall be thrown, not, that shall not be thrown down. Uh, God is saying, I know it's beautiful. I know you like it. I know it's great. I know, I know you're uncomfortable with what I say. I know it is a national treasure for you. I, I know that it is your cultural background. But I, I need you to pardon my disruption because this thing is going to be destroyed. This thing is not going to exist anymore. And so my brother and my sister, sometimes... When the disruptions, the discontinuity, the disconnections and discouragement come, they are meant to wake us up. God is saying, you, you are distracted, you, you don't understand it, your focus is off, but please pardon my disruption because I need you to figure it out. And my brother, my sister, here allow me to now uh, talk about pandemic, uh, pandemic for a little bit. Because you see, many of us are like, we are worried about, about what's going on. This COVID-19, we are, we are away from our normal workplaces. We are away from the things that we normally do. I believe that God is saying in our lives, pardon my disruption. He has moved things in our lives. And I'm not suggesting in no way that God brought the COVID-19. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that God can leverage a situation and cause a disruption in our life. Because he says, hey, 
Stop for a moment. Let's talk about it for a moment because you are distracted. You have lost your focus. I need you to come back to me. And so my brother, my sister, while we're going through this pandemic crisis, and here is my first pandemic point. Do not waste this opportunity being so worried and, and, and so concerned. But ask yourself, where is God in my life? Ask yourself, what is God doing in my life? What is my position? Ask yourself, is God still in the building of my heart? Is God still in the building of my family? Is he a part of my business? Is he a part of the things that I'm doing? Or has he left the building? And so utilize this crisis for you to analyze exactly where your priorities are in relation to how God is in your life. Because if you just let this pandemic move on and you don't utilize it to really assess your situation, then I think, like one pastor said, we would have wasted this pandemic. And I don't want to trivialize or minimize the pandemic. It's a serious situation. But if we just think about uh, losing money, if we just think about our businesses going under, if we just think about health going under, if we just think about those things, then we're no different than the disciples because we are treasuring the very things that Jesus is saying these are not the most important things in life. You have to focus on what is important and that is me in your life. For me, the, the, the real issue is when a crisis happens, where are you at? Uh, praise the Lord that these disciples, they were with Jesus. They were with him when he created this crisis. Because I, I believe that Jesus had to create this crisis when he says, you know what, I'm going to destroy this temple. He created this crisis. Uh, they were with him, but where are you at? Where is your mind at? Where is your heart at? Where, where is your thinking at? Where are your plans at? Is God a part of that? Or is God somewhere else and you are somewhere here? So my brother and my sister, please hear me and allow me to preach to you and tell you this. Do not allow this pandemic to go by just like that. Allow it to allow yourself to see where you are in how you relate uh, to God. There is a theory called disruptive innovation. And this theory believes that in order for you to meet a need, in a, in, in, in a, to create a new market, you have to create an innovation that's going to disrupt the flow of the market. That's going to disturb the market. Right? And when you have created this innovation, normally people tend to buy it. And this disruption now becomes the new norm. And other businesses that have been doing business as usual, they can actually get taken out of business. Let me give you an example. Wikipedia is a disruptive innovation. You see, before Wikipedia, there was Encyclopedia Britannica. And this was the go-to, you know, you want information on a subject, right? But guys came together and said, you know what? Number one, it takes about a year to, to produce a whole set of Encyclopedia Britannica. It, you need a lot of editors to, to, to make this thing happen. And so guys said, okay, you know what? We're going to create an online platform. We're going to hire... I mean, we're going to ask for volunteer editors, and we're going to give people uh, access to information that they can get at their fingertips. They can get on their mobile phone. They can get on their, on their computers, wherever they are on the go, they can get it. And because of this disruptive innovation, Wikipedia made a need for people to have information. Follow what I'm saying? The, the disruptive innovation met the need for people to want to understand information quickly. And because of that, Encyclopedia Britannica in 2012, they, started print, they stopped printing hard copies of the encyclopedia because they understood that it's not going to work. 
Notice, a disruptive innovation is intended to meet a need. And so my brother and my sister, Jesus disrupted the life. He disrupted these disciples in their view of the temple because he wanted to satisfy a need that they had. Check what I'm saying. You see, Jesus is walking out of the temple and he says, your house is left and you desolate. Your house is no longer important. And so the Bible says he exited and he went. I don't want you to miss this. He exited and he went to the Mount of Olives. He left a structured environment for an unstructured environment. He left a built up place, a beautiful place for the trees and the wilderness. And the Bible says that he sat on top of the mountains. In fact, the view is like this. Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and he was looking over the temple. Because the Mount Olives was about 300 feet above the temple, 91 meters. And so he sat looking down on the temple. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus left the temple and he sat on the Mount of Olives. He left a low place to an elevated place. Jesus left the valley for the mountain. And he sat on the mountain looking down at the valley he said i cannot help them to understand it i just need to help them see it they saw jesus rise up go out up to the mountain and he sat and the disciples began to realize and it started to make sense we need to change our perspective we need to see things like the way jesus sees we have been low in our perspective we need to elevate our perspective i wish i could jump right now jesus wants them to understand you cannot be looking at this temple correctly you need to change your environment you need to get out from what is structured and go to the place that is not structured so that you can see what I can see. And so there, Jesus allows them to see the temple for what it was. It was just a building. Empty building without Jesus. And now they can see it. Oh, Jesus was right. Jesus was right. This is just a building. And the Bible says, the Bible says that they came to him privately. <laughs> the Bible says they came to him privately and they asked him. And this is the whole point of Jesus. They came to him privately and they asked him, Lord, Lord, tell us, tell us, tell us what's going to happen. Uh, tell us what is going to be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. My brother and my sister, Jesus simply said that the building was going to be destroyed. <laughs> but they concluded that the destruction of this temple was the end of their life. Allow me to, to bring it into 2020. Uh, some of us, because the coronavirus has disrupted our lives, we think it is the end of the world. And some of us think because we have lost money, because a relationship has ended, because we are no longer in the group, we think that the end of the world has come. And the disciples saw that the destruction of the temple was the end. They thought, they saw it as the end of the world and it truly was. But some of us, we, we think when things have happened, it's the end of the world. But Jesus wanted them to see the situation for, for what it was. He wanted them to understand for what it was. And so they got it. The temple is going to be destroyed. The temple is just a building. Brother, let me preach to you for a moment. You see, your job is just a building. Your relationship is just a building. Your health is just a building. Your life is just a building. It can be destroyed. These are temporary things. 
But Jesus wants them to have a perspective that is eternal. And so in this disruption, Jesus wants them to see things for what they really are. You see, Jesus disrupted their world in a public place, in the temple. He said this is going to be destroyed in a public place because he wanted them to come for a private conversation. He wanted them to talk to him privately so that they could understand where it was. So my brother and my sister, when God disrupts your life, it's not because he wants to just disrupt your life. It's because he's saying, come here. Let's have a private conversation. Come here. Let's have time together. Come here. Let's get to talk about your life. Come here. Let's, let's do this. Let's deal with it. And so the disciples got it. They didn't run away from Jesus. They left the temple and they went with him to the mountain. I love that. Wherever Jesus went, they went. And you, you need to also go where Jesus goes. You may not understand it. He may take you through the wilderness. You may have to hike up and, and give up a lot of energy. You may have to sweat. But if Jesus is leading you you need to follow where he's leading you because that is the place where he needs you to go for you to understand where you need to be <laughs> i wish i could preach my brother and my sister hear me carefully learn to follow jesus the disciples they were confused they were disrupted but they never left the side of jesus so they went with jesus everywhere he went so my brother and my sister in this pandemic situation and season it's time to get to know God. It's time to encounter him. It's time to connect with him better. It's time to say, you know what, Lord, I'm here. You know what, if, if you want me to leave this spot, I'm going to go. If you want me to go, I'm, I'm going to go. You know what, if I have to hike up where you need me, I, I'm going to go. But as long as uh, you are leading the way, I'm going to go. Because God wants to take you from a, a low perspective to a higher perspective. You see, divine disruption aims for interaction introspection and correlation and i love the fact that they had to go from the temple to the mountain because they as they're going from the temple to the mountain they're thinking as they're climbing and 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 and, and they're sweating they're thinking what did jesus say what did jesus mean but they followed jesus wherever he took them i'm told i'm reminded of a story he he was a World War II doctor. And he was there in a restaurant eating dinner. Eating dinner because he was hungry, obviously. But he was a doctor. And so while he's taking, you know, spoons to his mouth, just started his dinner, there was a disruption. He had to go to the hospital because a mother was about to give birth and his services was needed. He didn't like it. He grumbled, but he had to go because as a doctor, he understood that I'm here to save lives. When he left the restaurant, 419 people died because of a fire in that restaurant. He thought he was angry because his meal, his meal was disrupted. His meal was disrupted <laughs> to save a life so that his life could be saved. My brother and my sister, allow me to put it to you like this. God is disrupting your life, changing things around your life because he wants to save you. You may not be in danger of dying in a restaurant, but my brother and my sister, God knows that this life is not eternal. This life is temporary. And so God is trying to do things and work things around your life so that he can save you because he's more interested 
in your eternal life. God can disturb your relationship. He can disturb your family. He can disturb your health. He can disturb your business. He can disturb your partnerships. He can disturb your influence. He can disturb your group. Uh, whatever God can disrupt it, whatever, bring out a focus because he is more concerned about you and your salvation. And I want you to understand, my brother and my sister, God is not callous. God is not careless. God is not thoughtless. God is thinking about you. He loves you and everything that is happening around you is going to work out for your good. Do not lose hope. Do not lose discouragement. Do not feel like things are, are going down the toilet. God is by your side. He's going to walk with you and he's going to save you. You need to stay with him right now. Don't allow God to go away. Don't say, God, I'm giving you up. No, follow God wherever you go because wherever he's taking you, he's going to save your life. We must follow him wherever, however, whenever, whatever. Wherever God is leading us, that is where you and I need to go. You see, these guys who talk about goal setting, they always say when you make a goal, you need to put it in a place you can see. I follow what I'm saying. You need to put the goal in a place you can see. So your goal is I want to lose weight. Well, don't write it in a book and close the book. Don't write it in your journal and close the journal. No. Write I want to lose weight and put it on your refrigerator. Uh, put it on your door in your room. The door in your bathroom. Put it on the front of your house, wherever. But you need to put it at a place you can see. You need to put that goal at a place you can see. Because when you can see the goal, you can do the goal. Allow me to talk about Jesus for a moment. Jesus needs to be at a place you can see him. Jesus needs to be at a place where you can look at him. Jesus needs to be at a place where he is in your life. He needs to be elevated. When you open your eyes, you need to be able to see him. Because when you can see him, you can follow him. When you can see him, you do what he says. When you can see him, you go to the places where he's telling you to go. When you can see him, God is going to bless you and direct you. My brother and my sister, elevate with Jesus. Go to the mountain where he's taking you so that you can see Things for how they should be seen. So elevate Jesus. Elevate Jesus. You have to keep him in a place you can easily see him. Many of us, we keep Jesus in a back pocket. Mm -mm. Put Jesus right here as a name tag. <laughs> I'm a Christian. Wear it loud and wear it proud. Amen. <laughs> Allow God to be the center of your life. Because you know that when he's the center of your life, nothing that ever happens to you is going to disturb you. Nothing that ever happens to you is going to change your situation. Nothing that ever happens to you is going to uh, throw you in a panic. Why should we be panicking? Why should we be panicking? The, the, the coronavirus is serious. I understand it. The pandemic is serious. I understand it. I understand it. But God hasn't called us to panic. He's called us to pause. God hasn't called us to, to anxiety. He's called us to caution. God hasn't called us to be people who fear monger. He's called us to be people who fear build. I mean who faith build. But when we lose sight of Jesus. When he's not elevated in our lives. When we can't see him. Guess what happens? When you can't see him, you can't see your captain, you can't see the pilot of your life, you can't see the captain of the ship, you can't see the driver of your taxi, guess what happens? You get panicked. And many of us, because Jesus is not at the right place in our lives, because we have lost focus of him, or we can't see him, we are holding on to things we should let go. Because he is in control. And so my brother and my sister, divine disruption. 
aims for interaction, introspection, and correlation. Your duty is to follow Jesus wherever he goes. Allow me to throw a few questions at you as I'm bringing this thing to a close. Is Jesus in the building or has he left? Is he in your ministry or has he left? Is he in your family or has he left? Is he in your career or has he left? Is he in your relationship or has he left? Is he in your business or has he left? Is he leading you to a situation or has he left the situation? Is this job that you are in the place where you're supposed to be? Or is God telling you got to move? My brother and my sister, you got to be a master of seeing Jesus on your GPS. You got to be a master of knowing the location of Jesus. And if there's something you need to ask in this pandemic situation, making sense of this pandemic situation is, where is God in my life? Where is Jesus in my life? And where am I at in my life? May God bless you and keep you. And I'll see you next week. Amen. Hallelujah.